CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop, and this is our Week 11 CFL recap on the Canadian Football Countdown. Welcome, one and all. Uh, we're missing Michael Garrell tonight. He uh, he is away this week on family vacation, so uh, no Mike on the podcast this week. But uh, I'm very pleased to be joined by a special guest host who is willing to come on the podcast and uh, help me talk. Uh, week 11 in the CFL this week. Before we get into all that and introduce him, uh, for those that didn't catch this last week on the podcast or missed the announcement on social media, this will likely be my last appearance on the weekly recap episode for the remainder of the 2018 season uh, as I get ready to go back to university to finish up my degree this fall. So uh, Michael Garrell will be Handling that episode every week along with a, a guest host who he will soon name. Uh, and then you can still catch me on the weekly preview each week. Uh, well, most weeks, I should say. As long as I'm able to continue doing so. Uh, this week's preview show, uh, I will be joined by the great uh, Steve. <laughs> you know him as Safamod from the Piffles podcast. Uh, so stay tuned for that this week. But first, we're here to talk week 11 in the CFL and uh, joined by a fellow member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, he's the original Tony Football, the OG, <laughs> as the kids these days call it. It's Tony Allen from Rouge Radio. Welcome to the show, Tony, and thanks for joining me. No problem, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, excited to do this. We tried to get together last year to do one of these, but uh, bad internet connection and a laptop that wasn't quite with the ages. Uh, put me back so a little bit about a year behind that I wanted to come out and hang on this show so very uh, happy and very honored that you would ask me to hang out with you tonight yeah very happy to finally have you on here uh looking forward to uh talking all things uh CFL uh, we're kind of at the midway point of the CFL season so I kind of want to start there before we get into you know talking about the games this week give us your take on the first half of the season overall well, I'm glad it improved by this point. The way the first, oh man, it almost felt five weeks of the season went. It was just bad football. The games weren't entertaining. They weren't close. There was no late dramatics. Almost every lead, if you could have one in the fourth quarter, was good enough to be a game. We would sneak in an interesting football game here and there, but for the most part, I'd say the first quarter of the 2018 season was extremely disappointed, disappointing. And then all of a sudden, the games got really good. I don't know. I, I want to say it started around the Toronto upset over the Ottawa Red Blacks when McLeod Bethel Thompson came in and wowed us all. It could have been a couple games before that because of the weeks tend to blur into one season after a while, especially when we get so close to Labor Day. But, boy, this last three or four weeks of football have 
Just been so excited. If you ask me, all of the games last week were very exciting, right down to the wire. Even the Winnipeg game, I, that score did not reflect how close and well that football game was played. And overall, I'm just very happy that we eventually got back to the Canadian Football League that we as fans love watching because the games finally became exciting again. Storylines story started to build. It felt like there was no real team to be talking about right now. And, of course, a plethora of stories now if you want to start it. Um, Matt Nichols in Winnipeg, he has kind of turned into a, a bit of a media mess there. You've got the Calgary Stampeders finally losing a game, or you've got the BC Lions. What kind of football team are they after a heartbreaking loss to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? A very dramatic ending there. I, I hope this is a trend that continues into the second half of the season. Yeah, you mentioned it. You know, all of these games this week were great games. I mean, Edmonton, Hamilton, that one comes down to the final play of the game. Montreal, Toronto, basically <laughs> final play of the game. Saskatchewan, BC, that's a... That's a three-point win there for Saskatchewan. Some late-game dramatics there. And, uh, well, you know, in the span of 50 seconds, the Bombers and uh, Calgary game went from a close game to uh, no chance of winning that one. But uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. And, of course, uh, I know we are on entirely opposite spectrums of the happiness scale with the outcome <laughs> of that game, with you being a Calgary Stampeders fan. But before we get into these games, uh, you mentioned a lot of big storylines around the CFL, and certainly one of the biggest all season long has been Duran Carter, who uh, officially this weekend has signed with the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, I think that may be a really good fit for him. You know, I've been defensive of Duran Carter throughout this whole, uh, you know, the drama involving him. I thought he did a really great job of filling in on defense and. You know, I don't entirely blame them for being upset with them not putting the targets in their best receivers' hands when the offense is struggling there. But uh, he gets shipped out, or he gets released by Saskatchewan, goes over to Toronto, who's desperately looking for uh, a guy, you know, a big game receiver, uh, especially now that apparently Anthony Coombs is back on the injured list again, right after he came back. Uh, do you like the fit in Toronto for Deron Carter? I think it's a, a good fit for him. Honestly, like you, I, I, I don't know if I defend Deron Carter, but I try and see Deron Carter for what he is. Way back when he was still in Montreal and was entering the Canadian Football League, one of the best interviews I heard involving Carter was when he was on the Waggle, the first year that the Waggle came out with Sabalski and Sanchez. Right. And to, to sit down with him and hear how he approaches the game of football. He has problems in his regular life, and there's nothing I can do about that. If we're supposed to be a you know, society that doesn't cast stones and what have you, glass houses. But for some reason, when it comes to someone like him, we love to do that to him. And I think it's because he's so charismatic. He is such a big personality. He is so alive. And listening to this interview, I could see the man that just loved football. He loves football. He loves the spotlight. He likes the game being on in his hands. He likes the crowd interaction, whether you're booing him or you're cheering for him. It's what he loves, and it's what he lives for when it comes to the game of football. He makes horrible life choices. And for some reason, <laughs> when it came to Deron Carter, 
it, it's what we love to obsess about. When Jerron Carter got released from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I found it very disheartening that the first article I saw within an hour was Jerron Carter got released by the Saskatchewan Rough Rider. And then someone from the media, I'd better write an entire article that highlights everything wrong with Jerron Carter, <laughs> going back to the fact that he played for four different colleges when he was playing college football. So that way we can protect the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and people will say, okay, maybe it wasn't good, but at least we can transfer all the blame onto Jerron Carter. Again, when I say something like, the way Jerron Carter handled this entire season so far in Saskatchewan, he may have had confrontations with the media. That's what people will say. He had confrontations with the media. Who cares? Players don't like the media. The media, they'll do what they need to do for the players. The players, it's not their favorite thing interacting ask, with the media. Yeah, just ask Matt Nichols. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? The media will do whatever they want to, and they'll spin whatever you say the way you want to. So I don't worry about interactions, but I do care about a guy that you, I don't remember hearing him complain. Maybe people in Saskatchewan were closer to the story and said, all he ever did was complain, but I never heard stories of him complaining about whining. I saw him on Twitter and it's just, I doing what I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. They put him on defense. He said, okay, I'll play defense. They put him on offense. Okay. I'll play offense if that's what you want. So he never really seemed like he wasn't giving Saskatchewan they want. People would ask him, how do you feel about having to play on defense? It's like, why do you guys keep asking me what I care about? The coach puts me where he wants me to put, puts, puts me where he wants me to go, and then I play. That was his attitude. I thought it was, for considering what Saskatchewan was putting him through, knowing he was one of the top receivers, if not the best receiver in the Canadian Football League, I thought he had a pretty good attitude. But for whatever reason, we can't take that into consideration. We can only focus if I got a quarter for every time I heard his four colleges that he played for <laughs> in college, I mean, I'd have enough money to fund the greatest podcast the world has ever. I could live off of my podcast just ever getting a quarter every time someone brings that up thinking it's relevant. Now, he goes into Toronto, and it's not a media storm there. It's almost with any other sport that you go to Toronto in, the media is going to be all over you. Right, yeah. He's actually a good fit in Toronto because now he can fly under the media radar. Media in Ontario still has Johnny Manziel to focus on, and that's where they can put all of their attention. But as far as the Argonauts, you know what? As long as he plays good football and the Argonauts win and he stays out of trouble, the media is not going to talk about them because there's no fun in the Toronto media talking about a good Argonauts football team where nobody's causing trouble. You need to be in trouble and a tire fire for the Toronto media to pick up the story. So it could be a very good fit for him because now he can fly under the media radar and not have to get worried and not be worried about getting caught up in things that he doesn't need to be. One more thing I'll mention too, during that entire Jerron Carter episode between Saskatchewan and signing in Toronto, did anyone ever talk about the what two dozen riders fans he took to the movies yeah, one no, weekend? Exactly. Nobody talks about that because it doesn't make him look like a bad guy. We need to vilify him so the, to protect the riders' image and say, nope, they are super good guys. Now, Bethel Tom, uh, Beth, McLeod Bethel Thompson now has an absolutely amazing receiver. So for anyone that bashed Carter, good for you. I'm glad you got it because now he's going to a young the team with a young quarterback who's making a great name for himself, and now he's got an amazing target like Deron Carter out there 
at his disposal. So I think it's a very good signing for the Argonauts here. And in turn, it's going to be good for Jerron Carter. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing coming out, I believe, yesterday, uh, we're recording this Tuesday night, is that Duran won't play the next two weeks against the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, as he gets ready to learn the offense there. And conveniently enough, what looks like to be his first game, September 22nd against, guess who, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. <laughs> so uh, one of those quirky things. It's funny how it works out like that. You know, Johnny Manziel's first start against, you know, the Tiger Cats and weird how things like that work out. I'm shocked he's not in the lineup at all against Hamilton, but, you know, I guess just like we've been clamoring, quarterbacks need time to earn the offense. Uh, maybe the wide receivers do as well. But let's get into talking about the games from Week 11, and we start off with the Thursday night game, uh, Edmonton and Hamilton in Hamilton. This one comes literally right down to the wire with Liram Haralahu kicking a 29-yard field goal on the final play of the game. Uh, to win this one. The Ticats come back in the fourth quarter with 12 points in the final about five and a half minutes. Uh, what was your reaction when seeing this one? Obviously, to see Edmonton fizzle at the end was, from a fan perspective, good to see. But it was definitely off script for the Eskimos because we had seen them. And actually, in on Rouge Radio, in our preview show, I was actually mentioning how Edmonton, Seem to have trouble with slow starts. And then, of course, Mike Riley does Mike Riley things. And, yeah. you know, Edmonton ends up on top in the win column once again. So it was, for me, it was very surprising to see Mike Riley not be able to bring his team back and win. Now, that sounds like I'm putting too much pressure on Mike Riley because he did do a very good job in handling the Hamilton Tiger Cats and kind of handling his own business. But it did get, it, it was just a matter of the defense didn't hold where they needed it to hold at the end of the game. And they ended up giving the ball back to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And on the other side, we wanted to see this Jeremiah Mazzoli come back and carry the Hamilton Tiger Cats again. And in this case, he got them where they needed to go. Obviously field goal is not where a quarterback likes to leave his team when he gets off the field but in this case it set up i can't pronounce his name i'm not even going to try it however long he's been in the canadian football league i've I've never i've never even tried to say his name (laughs) it's not maybe i can pronounce it i've never actually tried so i'm going to keep that streak going but for him to come in a thrill for him and a thrill for the tiger cats teams too who wants to be a competitor in the East. And it really looks like Ottawa's got their game together. A lot of excitement around the Toronto Argonauts with their new quarterback. And, you know, Hamilton just wants to say, remember us guys, we were, everyone was really excited for us when the season started, we can win games too. So it was definitely a big uh, win for the Hamilton Tiger Cats and a nice notch for the Eastern division. Who's like, listen, we can beat the big boys of the West too. Yeah, the East Division, uh, I think, is starting to show this year that they're not the pushovers everyone thought they would be. Uh, Really, you know, coming into this game, I I remember, you know, reading various articles and listening to podcasts around the league, and a lot of people expecting that this was going to be a very high-scoring, high-offensive-powered game, you know, people falling all over Eskimos and CFL Fantasy this week, and kind of question it a little because the Ticats coming into the game did have the best passing defense in the entire CFL, even giving up less yards per game than the Stampeders. And we saw that early on in this one, you know, in the first quarter, I think Mike Riley was something like four of six for 11 yards. And 
You know, just when we're talking about how good this Hamilton defense is, what happens? He, uh, Mike Riley throws a 98-yard touchdown pass to Duke Williams, literally the play after I was thinking this. And really, all the Eskimos had going for them was that second quarter. You know, they put up 24 points in that second quarter, but were shut out the rest of the game. Uh, on the night in total, they had just 344 yards of offense. And the crazy thing about it is 222 of that came on just four plays. Uh, the rest of the night, they put up only 122 yards. Their defense gave up 552. I mean, you're not going to win a football game with numbers like that. No, it was it was not Mike Riley at his or it wasn't at uh, football at its best, but it, it did pick up in the second half. Yeah, and, and you know the the Ticats uh, after a strong start to the game, all of a sudden Edmonton puts up twenty four points, and you're going into halftime with a twenty four ten Edmonton lead, and everything looks all you know everything's momentum wise on their side, and then. You had a bit of a low-scoring third quarter where Hamilton just picks up the field goal and Edmonton doesn't get anything on the board. And then that strong finish by Hamilton. And boy, I tell you, the tale of two plays for Hamilton, you know, with just under three minutes left, you have Mike Jones wide open on the sidelines. Nobody in sight. He catches the ball. He's in for a touchdown. It puts them back in the game here. And, uh, well, Mike Jones goes and drops the ball. Uh, as you know, the guys from Podski Wee Wee would come and tell you that he does quite often. And, and then the next play, Luke Tasker makes a catch in double coverage, jukes out the entire team and runs uh, 51 yards to the end zone. Uh, a tale of two plays, and uh, certainly, you know, Hamilton's best player stepped up at the end of this one to take home. It, the it was funny, the tweet uh, of the night for that game I saw, I was actually putting my kids to bed when that game was on, so I was picking up the tail end by following tweets and I was excited to see the highlights because someone had tweeted out that the play that should have been a touchdown wasn't a touchdown and the play that shouldn't have been a touchdown was the touchdown. So it, it was a bizarre game. It was definitely a game of uh, big plays for both teams and it, it just resulted in, in another exciting football game. Yeah, you mentioned, and you mentioned Hamilton kind of, you know, alerting everyone, hey guys, we're still here with a win and getting getting back on track here. Um, Edmonton now, they're 6-4 and four on the season. Uh, that's still obviously a pretty good record. It's above 500, but they've certainly had some discipline issues when it comes to penalties and, you know, a couple times where they've started slow and in this game where they just couldn't finish this one out. Now they have to play the Calgary Stampeders the next two weeks, which has never been an easy matchup for anybody. Um, uh, is there concerns that Edmonton could take a dip here in the middle of the season? Uh, I, I think there's concerns when you play the Hamilton or the Calgary Stampeders because they are a team that can adapt and they're a difficult team to beat definitely two weeks in a row. The best case scenario for the Eskimos right now is to try and split that Labor Day Classic. The Stampeders are beatable. We've seen it. I don't think there's anything we can truly classify as a, a, a very easy win for the Calgary Stampeders. There's been some endings of football games that went Calgary's way, just proof maybe that they can close out football games. But they haven't had a convincing win. I don't think the Eskimos want to be that first convincing win. 
But there's always that dynamic of Mike Riley versus Bo Levi Mitchell, two good quarterbacks. And right now, I think Mike Riley is the better of the two quarterbacks. As I look at the Calgary Stampeders, you can't play Calgary to try and beat their defense. That doesn't, right. that, that, that's not, that shouldn't be your game plan because they're it's too good. No, you, the Calgary Stampeders don't give up offensive touchdowns. You can try and get your touchdowns and you can try and sneak in maybe an offensive touchdown. But right now you need to be playing the psyche of Bo Levi Mitchell because I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but he has been a bit of their Achilles heel, Achilles heel and the offense in general for the Calgary Stampeders. I know there was a time it felt like in that game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. If you want to beat the Calgary Stampeders, you need to keep their offense on the field because they're going to give up a crucial interception. They're going to give up a fumble. They're going to do something that'll make it difficult. Even special teams is going to give up something. Do not play the Calgary Stampeders thinking we're going to beat that defense. If you can get into field goal range, if you can just protect yourself the best you can, don't turn over the balls, don't start giving the Stampeders defense touchdown because if a defense starts touch scoring touchdowns on top of their offense, you're never going to beat the Calgary Stampeders. Just get out there and do what you can about the defense and beat the Stampeders offense because right now they'll beat themselves. You just need to corner. We saw Charlton Hughes do it to Bo Levi Mitchell two weeks ago in his game. He got to Bo Levi Mitchell. He was in Bo Levi Mitchell's head. And after that, the Calgary offense just could not seem to recover from what is right now building up to be an amazing Saskatchewan Rough Riders defense there. So we can cover that later and watch out for that defense. But right now, get get into Bo Levi Mitchell's head, get the offense doubting themselves, and that's where you're going to win the football game if you're the Edmonton Eskimos. The only problem is, do they have the defense that's strong enough to do that to Calgary? Uh, probably a whole other debate. So we'll we'll see how it works out. Just don't let Bo Levi Mitchell get hot. Protect yourself against that defense, and Edmonton might have a chance. But there's no way they're winning both games, I don't think. Yeah, I would I would certainly tend to agree with you on that. Uh, getting into the next game of the week, the Friday night game, uh, I guess you could call it the miracle in Montreal because the Alouettes win at home for the first time in over a year, a 25-22 win uh, over the Toronto Argonauts. And uh, the thing everybody's talking about this game is uh, Antonio Pipkin making his second straight start. Uh, first Alouette's QB to throw for over 300 yards since uh, Darian Durant in Week 10 of 2017, exactly a year before this game. Holy cow, how terrifying is a statistic like that? <laughs> I know, right? That is, that is terrifying. It shows you what Montreal is going through. And I think this is one, it's one of those ones where, in my head, I assume everyone's kind of a bit of a Montreal Alouettes fan which is tough to say because there was a time where everybody absolutely hated the Montreal Alouettes and was sick of them always winning the East. But it has been so awful for Montreal, and I don't think it's a case of you hate them because they're the Montreal Alouettes now or you feel bad for them in spite of how good they were. I, I think for someone like me, I'm rooting for the Montreal Alouettes because they have such a horrible general manager right now in Cavis Reed. And uh, there's probably a lot of people that will agree with me that we'd like to see this team succeed in spite of him and definitely not because of him. So 
you do feel much feel for Montreal Alouettes fans because the person running that organization is not good enough to be doing it. They need to get him out before we can get excited about the Montreal Alouettes. So when they go in and they're able to beat a surging Toronto Argonauts team who has really got into our imaginations of this team that keeps coming back and winning football games that they're not supposed to be winning. And McLeod Bethel Thompson is just this, a great new young quarterback. We were talking on Rouge radio at the beginning of the year. We don't have that wave of great young quarterbacks like we did when Bo Levi Mitchell and Mike Riley and Matt Nichols were all coming onto the scene and starting to take over their teams. But honestly, now you've got Bethel Thompson in Toronto and maybe Pipkin in Montreal, fingers crossed. And there might even be some right now that we're going to start seeing the development and the, the creation of Chris Strebler in Winnipeg. That in itself is probably a big debate on Matt Nichols' future. And people might say I'm kind of jumping the gun a bit on that one. But either way, those three guys are a pretty good future of the Canadian Football League. So now that you've got Pipkin in Montreal, a quarterback that people seem to like, and want to like the anti-Johnny Manziel for Montreal Alouettes fans, and everybody wants him to be better than Johnny Manziel. So we'll see what happens. It was I, I enjoyed the win. I was really rooting for them. There was a times where they thought maybe you, they've got to go full Montreal Alouettes here. But you know what? They kept pounding on the Toronto Argonauts. They kept you know capitalizing when they needed to. They took their hits, but they came back. And overall, it was a fun win for the Montreal Alouettes, but I I don't think it's enough where I could say, okay, we're going to start turning a page in Montreal because until Cavis Reed gets out of there, Montreal's not going to turn that page. Yeah, I, I, I was totally with you. I, I was so happy to see Montreal win this game. And, you know, maybe it's because we've been through bad years here in Winnipeg recently where, you know, you kind of feel the pain of Alouettes fans and what they've had to put up with. But Antonio Pipkin looked great to me, and now we're in an interesting state, I think, with the Montreal quarterback position where, you know, for the last five years since Calvillo retired, it's been an endless cycle, something like 15 starting quarterbacks. There's been at least five this year. You you could look at the Alouettes roster and potentially say they have several promising young quarterbacks on that roster, and I, I know it's early. They haven't gotten a lot of starts, but I like what I've seen from Pipkin. I loved what I saw from Vernon Adams and frankly thought he should have gotten the second straight start against Hamilton uh, because, you know, to give Johnny Manziel time to in the offense. And I don't think it's quite fair this early on to write off Johnny Manziel in his career either. We are now in a state, I personally believe, where the Alouettes have a real opportunity here with potentially three promising young quarterbacks on their roster. It just depends how they develop them properly, right? And that's the real question here is, okay, great game by Pipkin. I think we'd all agree after this one that he deserves the next start because, I mean, he gets you your first home win in over a year. But if Johnny football is healthy this week, I have no doubt in my mind they're going to go back to him. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be too surprised to see them give Manziel another week to recuperate, honestly, if they were smart, there, the whole concussion things was a disaster for Montreal in the in the media and the popular opinion. Everyone believing that that hand was handled wrong. Montreal is not going to make a surge back for the East title. Come into the playoffs, surprise anyone. Montreal is just 
not that team that they're going to ruin anyone's November. To me personally, whether Monzel gets cleared, I, I think it would be in Montreal's interest just to sit him one more week because it's not going to make a difference. And you've got this young quarterback now that did very well. And Montreal also took heat, I think, not enough heat for replacing Vernon Adams because he did play well enough. The booing for Johnny Manziel, it was, uh, I didn't like it. They, they should never have treated Adams the way they did. I mean, it turns out that he would go on the injured list anyways. But I think the optics right now for the Alouettes would look so poor if they were to throw Johnny Manziel in and not because I think he's a bust. But right now there's a lot of heat on Johnny Manziel for rushing him into football games when he wasn't ready. And I think they could face that heat again. They don't need it. Just keep going with Pipkin right now. At least one more week. And that way, if Pipkin buries himself, you're not going to get blamed for putting Johnny Manziel back in when when the next week comes along. Yeah, and the big argument I've I've kept getting is, uh, well, look how much you gave up for Johnny Manziel. You got to put him in the lineup. At the end of the day, whether you made the trade and gave up for him or not, if you have a quarterback on your roster that you could develop into a better quarterback one day, the amount you gave up for him doesn't matter. Like, you have him on your team now. You put the best quarterback that you can develop out there. And personally, I think that's Pipkin. But that being said, you know, once Johnny Football gets time to learn the offense more and gets more reps in the CFL, I mean, he hadn't played professional football since, what, 2015? Uh, so, I, you know, I, I I don't rule him out there yet. I personally think Pipkin uh, deserves to start here. And you, you talked about Cavis Reed as general manager, and we've talked about Johnny Manziel. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, one of the pieces they got uh, along with him in the trade, offensive lineman Landon Rice, uh, the Alouettes this week decided to release him because they didn't want to pay a salary for the rest of the season. And just earlier today, he went right back to the team he got traded away from, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So uh, that's a piece they got back in that deal that uh, they've lost already back to his original team. Yeah, I was, I was also going to say with with, um, with Montreal, too, uh, again, there's so much you can do as your quarterback as well, but their offensive line is so horrible as well that, again, your, your quarterback development's only going to be so good as well until they clean up that offensive line, too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, certainly, you know, when you bring in assets and then release them right away, that doesn't necessarily help in that regard. No, not really. Uh, Defensively, I also thought they played a better game. Certainly, you know, much was made of the number of 40-point games or over 500 yards of offense they'd given up in recent weeks. And uh, while, yes, the offense rolled under Antonio Pipkin, uh, the defense also kind of stole the show here and shut down the Argos, especially in the fourth quarter. Yes, definitely something you want to see from Montreal's side of the ball because they did run out and try and spend as much money as they possibly could, especially picking up a player like Tommy Campbell to try and bolster that defense. So you want to see the results of it. You want you wanted to run out and spend the money on it. So uh, a good one there too. Hopefully the Montreal Alouettes can keep building on that. Oh, and that and they'll by- need to. And they'll need to against this Ottawa team they're going to face coming up right now because that Ottawa team must be feeling 10 feet tall and bulletproof right now. Right. Uh, and that play by Henock Mwamba at the very end of this game to, uh, I think it was sack McLeod Bethel-Thompson or maybe he dumped the pass off and he read it well. And anyways, a tackle for like a six-yard loss to put them in line for a 54-yard field goal 
to tie the game on the final play of the game, and Zach Medeiros hits it off the upright. Mm. I mean, you, you can't write up the Montreal first win in, at home in over a year like any more dramatic. <laughs> no, well, it gave us it gave them something to uh, to cheer for anyway. So and they haven't course, had a lot of that. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, somebody took the Titanic music and uh, edited onto that field goal hitting the upright. So uh, oh, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> much celebration for the Alouettes. Uh, what did you make of this performance from Toronto? Because like you said, a couple weeks in a row of comeback wins. Uh, was this a major letdown? Uh, it, it, a major letdown? No, it was definitely a stumble for them when they thought that they were starting to be players in the East again after you had such a, uh, such a great comeback win over the Ottawa Red Blacks that kind of kick-started the whole thing. I think they would like to have kept that momentum going, but for whatever reason, they ran into this Montreal Alouettes team that decided they were going to win that weekend, and I don't think there was anything that was going to stop them. I, it was a hit, but luckily you get to be in the East. And I don't say that because I, because to disrespect the East, I, it's at the point now where we're making fun of the quality of football in the East to me, isn't fun anymore. It's right. almost like, it's almost like a crutch now that it exists. And I'm going to throw it out there because it's probably true. People have been saying it and it's the way it's been for a long time. So I'm just going to keep rolling with it. And when the season started, the West was not dominating the East like we thought they would, but it didn't start at stop anyone. Oh, the West, the West is so much better. The East is crap. And it's like, well, the East is kind of winning some big football games against the West. And I would have liked to see Toronto starting to prove that they can get over 500, put some more wins in the uh, W column than losses and kind of build momentum for there. And I think there was a lot that the Argonauts probably hope they were going in that direction. So to hit the skids against the Montreal Alouettes, a team that you want to beat, no problem. To get that proof that you're going to be a player in the East would have been nice. But I don't think that's going to slow down the Argonauts too much because they know what they have. The addition of Drawn Carter is going to bring that locker room up. I don't care what anyone says. There's going to be people like there in that locker room, and they're going to look at Drawn Carter and say, we are a better football team now. I can't wait to see what this guy does for us. Uh, getting into the Saturday doubleheader, and it starts off with the Winnipeg-Calgary game, which Calgary takes 39-26. Uh, early on in this game, it looked like Winnipeg was keeping it competitive. They take the 15-12 lead at halftime, and you think, hey, maybe we'll actually win this one, because frankly, coming into the game, I certainly wasn't expecting it, because, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell's only lost two straight games once in his career, and that was at the end of the year last year, which is... Absolutely absurd. Um, Bombers keep it close early in this one, but then uh, they let it slip late. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell has his first game over 400 yards passing of his career. He throws for 452 and three touchdowns, and over half of that goes to Kamar Jordan, who sets the franchise record for passing yards in, or receiving yards in a game with 249. I mean, uh, at, at the end of the day, Bombers' defense, while they, while they could stop him early, they just collapsed late in the game. You know, and it was it was all around for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They were the better football team in that first half of the game. And I I, I knew it could be 
a win for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when when we previewed the show on Rouge Radio. I I definitely didn't think this was going to be a walk for the Argon for the Stampeders. I knew that that's a good Winnipeg Blue Bombers team over there. Every team has their problems, and we could nitpick the ones that the Blue Bombers have, but it doesn't change the fact that it is still a good competitive Blue Bomber team. I wasn't surprised that they did well to start the football game. I was surprised how they dominated that Calgary offensive line, and Bo Levi Mitchell had no time to operate. They did exactly what they needed to do. Worry about the defense, uh, the, you know, survive the defense, and Bo Levi Mitchell is going to take care of himself, and the offense might not click. We might do a, a good job of shutting them down, and, and mistakes are going to happen. And Winnipeg did such a good job. They had the Calgary Stampeders on the rope, but it's the Calgary Stampeders. If, if they're going to turn it around and they're going to adapt, they can do it. And then they started breaking plays, started breaking big plays. Next thing you know, they're starting to get the D plays, and Winnipeg did the best they could to answer. And it was a good football game. Calgary, you know what? They answered back with the late points that they needed to to get ahead of the Blue Bombers. But I remember looking at the clock. I'm like, that's a lot of time to try and protect this, you know? It is, I'm not going to write off the Blue Bombers because you're the Calgary Stampeders defense, and you, you probably could, but they, it, it's still a Winnipeg Blue Bombers offense. So I thought there was a chance they could come back. I didn't think they were going to collapse the way, well, I guess first it started with the Winnipeg defense. That's not even what I would call a good touchdown for the Calgary Stampeders. It was three bombers around the man that catches the ball, and then they just all kind of bounce off of each other. Like there was real no attempt to make the tackle. So you can say, wow, what a great play for the Calgary Stampeders. It's like, well, no, he got he got open, which is great. He he got away from his coverage. But the three bombers, they're just like boink. And they kind of like three the like three outfielders trying to play the same pop fly and they all bounce off of each other and then they're gone for the points. That was shocking. And then just the worst football I think I've ever seen Matt Nichols throw in his entire life is as soon as he threw it, I, I I didn't cheer immediately for the turnover and the pick six. My initial reaction was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> like, I stick up for you all the time, Matt. That was horrible. So, yes, of course, if you're a Stan Peters fan, there's no such thing as an ugly win. But for the fact that the Bombers were so close in the final two minutes of a football game, and those are the two touchdowns that killed you. Stampeders didn't even need to try. And that was the big disappointment when it came to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Because, again, I have been one of the biggest backers of Matt Nichols since his rise to fame in Winnipeg. But he just loves that ball right in there, picked and gone. I, I don't know. I, I, had, I was a loss of words for what Bombers fan must have seen a football game that they could have beat the Calgary Stampeders just fizzle away to nothing. And I mean, they were still able to come back and get a touchdown, but by then all oh, so much damage had already been done. Yeah. They were never going to come back after that. Yeah. That may have been as a Bombers fan, one of the most tragic minutes of football I have ever watched. I mean, it starts off with, uh, you know, they're down 10 points with uh, just over two minutes left. Uh, I think it was third and one. They go and take an offside or a procedure penalty. They have to kick the field goal. So two minutes left, they're down by seven. I know Mike and I were going back and forth via text. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you got to kick the onside kick here. Because, frankly, I mean, Bo Levi Mitchell at that point in the game is already over. 
uh, like 350 yards. You haven't been able to stop Kamari Jordan all night. And Mike's like, no, no, this is a good call. Defense is going to come up with the stop. And it took all of one play for, like you mentioned, Kamari Jordan to run 60-something yards to the end zone. And it's okay, Bombers get back. Uh, well, they're down now, what, 14 points at that point with a minute 41 left. They came back from down 13 against Montreal last year. Uh, but that's, you know, Montreal and Calgary, uh, I think quite way to put it are very different teams. Um, and then like you mentioned, Matt Nichols throws the interception to defensive lineman, Jagarrett Davis of all people who had two on the night, which I don't know if I've ever seen a defensive lineman with two picks in a game. And all of a sudden in the span of 30 seconds, Calgary puts 14 more points up on the board and this one falls apart here. You, you talked about Matt Nichols, and you've been a big supporter of Matt Nichols, uh, and we have here on the podcast as well. Uh, the noise is starting to increase. Uh, fans wanting to see Chris Strebler, people fed up with Matt Nichols uh, and his comments, and frankly, his play for the most part. And they want to change here in Winnipeg. What do you make of the whole Nichols situation and uh, the quarterback issues here in Winnipeg? I think. It's unfortunate for Matt Nichols, who has brought life back into Bombers football. He's taking a lot of heat right now. And unfortunately, I I can see both sides of it, especially when you heard Davis Sanchez and Milt Stiegel debate it after the game on TSN. And I, I, I could lean. Davis is probably right. But the perception of what happened is where... I think Milt Stiegel wins the battle. I don't think Matt Nichols did anything wrong, but you hear Milt Stiegel go on, talk about yourself. Mike comes on, just talk about yourself. And unfortunately, you know, that doesn't sell papers. It doesn't get people interested, or I guess the terminology, I guess I just dated myself papers. Like it doesn't get (laughs) clicks now, you know, I, I should probably sound more relevant. It doesn't, get clicks and and Sanchez was probably right he's just being honest and telling you where Winnipeg broke down but that's not what people want to hear they want that to mean that Matt Nichols is throwing all of his receivers under the bus and I think that is unfair I think what happens and what is happening if I'm a Winnipeg Blue Bomber for the rest of the season I'm probably not talking to the media the best you're getting is lay down answers and if i'm a bomber the media does have a tendency to get very lazy as someone who is in the media for almost 20 years myself before getting into podcasting i know there's a tendency to get lazy they teach you in school no yes or no answers but watch any media scrum and nine out of ten questions is a yes and no answer and then the reporter gets mad if he doesn't get a three minute long answer full of epic quotes that he can clip out and use on the sports cast and you know there there's as much as i want would like to support the media i've also seen it from the inside and i know how lazy they themselves could be and you know there's that mentality of i i asked a yes or no answer but he gave me a no he just said yes or no he's obligated to give me the greatest quote i've ever had so i don't actually have to make an effort to do my job so here was a quarterback giving the media what they always want. Here's, here's the story. Here's how I'm feeling. And it's like, 
well, here's what we're going to take and release to people. And now Matt Nichols has to pay the price for what he said. Now accountability is a big thing. Matt Nichols now has to be accountable for everything he says. The only problem with that, if I'm the rest of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers team, I'm watching what the media just did to Matt Nichols, and why in the hell am I going to answer any of your questions now with nothing but lay-down, generic, blah answers to which the media will now get to turn around and say, oh, these football players are the worst. They're so, they just gave us the same repetitive crap. It's like, well, why do you think that is? So it's kind of like a catch-22. The player tries to do something different. He gets burned with it. The players are going to retaliate by not giving you answers now. And it's a just chasing, chasing your tail now, everyone blaming each other. To Matt Nichols specifically, I think it would be ridiculous for the Bombers to give up on Matt Nichols right now. I am not a fan. So I am hopefully would be a neutral opinion for people to kind of drink in. I'm going to assume a lot of your listeners would come from the Winnipeg area, especially if you're listening, if you're, I think you do local radio there as well. So you probably have a large. So if I could be an outside person looking in, I'd be like, don't get crazy over this. Oh, it's too late. It's too late. (laughs) It's like this. You are something. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are something now because of Matt Nichols. Nobody cared about you until Matt Nichols made the Blue Bombers a story. It's what made the rest of the country look at Winnipeg and say, those Bombers, they're with Matt Nichols on the team, they're really good. So to me, as an outside looking in, I would hope I could would make even a few Bombers fans sit back and say, you know what, right now there's a lot of heat on us. Right now it is tough. Right now it is very difficult to process what Matt Nichols might not or might have done to this football club. But Winnipeg isn't one of the most talked about football teams in the Canadian Football League right now for as far as potential and future without Matt Nichols. Does that get him a pass? No, but it definitely means you're pulling the trigger too quick if you're talking about Matt Nichols not having a long future with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Winning heals everything. It does. And winning covers up a lot of mistakes. Maybe those mistakes were there and we missed them because Matt Nichols was winning football games. Give Matt Nichols a team, a chance to play his way out of this and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And if they start winning, it will heal everything. Yes, we're all excited for Chris Strebler. There was a lot of hype over him in the few games we got to see, mostly because we had written off the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Why? Because we love Matt Nichols. Why? Because he makes the Winnipeg Blue Bombers winners. But Strebler comes in, does well. All of a sudden there's a controversy. Maybe there isn't, but now we found a way to get the controversy in. It's an unfortunate situation in there for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I just, I hope it blows over and I hope they give him a chance to play his way out. If it turns out he can't, then do whatever you want with him. Yeah, well, and and before we move on to talk about Saskatchewan BC game, my thoughts on the whole Matt Nichols situation. First of all, I, I don't think you have this problem if, you know, you didn't find out Chris Strebler's potential early in the season. Like, you look at Calgary with Nick Arbuckle as the backup quarterback there, and, and if Bo Levi Mitchell struggles this greatly, nobody's clamoring, oh, it's time to start Nick Arbuckle over <laughs> Bo Levi Mitchell. Like, no, not a single sane person in their mind, I imagine, would go out and say that. 
But it's because we've seen the, the potential of Chris Strebler here in Winnipeg that people think he may be the best quarterback to give this team a win going forward. And, and, and frankly, as well, people, you know, making light of his struggled uh, performance against Calgary's defense. Like you said earlier, Calgary doesn't give up offensive touchdowns. They think coming into this game, they gave up like three or five passing touchdowns all year through like eight, nine games coming in, which is ridiculous. And that's another conversation for another day. But um, you're, we're at an interesting crossroads going into Regina for the Labor Day Classic now because Matt Nichols is going to be torn apart by Riders fans at New Mosaic Stadium because, well, they've seen that, you know, you can get underneath Matt Nichols' skin and they're going to be heckling him all night long. Not that they really wouldn't otherwise. And uh, I want to see how Matt Nichols responds from this. People questioning whether Chris Strebler should maybe get the start. I will say I do think his mobility maybe gives you better a chance against that uh, very impressive pass rush by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders defense. But at the end of the day, do you really want to throw the rookie quarterback back out there uh, for a matchup in Regina where you you know won one Labor Day Classic in the last 12? Probably not. I agree with you. Stick with Matt Nichols going forward here. Uh, let's get into the Saskatchewan BC game to finish things off here. Uh, another one, another close one here. Saskatchewan wins this one 24-21. Uh, pull out a gritty performance in this one. Uh, what was your take on this game? Uh, this one, I'll have to be honest with you. I kind of had my dad hat on for this one. I started, we had a, we had a family camp out in the living room, had a futon mattress. I won't bore too much details. We started watching the football game a little bit, but the kids got well, so we put on a movie. So I did miss a chunk of this football game, so I won't waste your time trying to pretend I saw a lot of it and I know how it broke down and what BC and Saskatchewan looked like playing head-to-head. All I know that this was going supposed to be BC's chance to kind of fight its way back. Right now, Saskatchewan and BC... I think unless Winnipeg is starting to completely implode, I think this is really the battle we're looking at in the West right now, Saskatchewan and BC. I missed the first half. I think I picked it up late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, where it looked like, you know, Saskatchewan was really pushing and they were going to put themselves ahead of the BC Lions. But then the BC Lions had a pushback that I haven't seen much of from this Lions team in the last two years. To me, BC has just been basically the same football club as they were last year where they just don't seem to know how to win football games there was a big streak on the line bc only knew how to win at home this year so you kind of had this expectation that they might pull it off against the riders when it came to that end of the football game and i thought bc was toast for sure and then they did such a good job a saskatchewan rough riders defense that is starting to look very strong and they gave the same fits to Travis Lule that they seem to be giving to Bo Levi Mitchell and that Stamps offense that started to crack for whatever reason, BC was able to move the ball and it came down to that third down conversion. And this is, it's the same argument. This is one of those rhetorics you hear all the time. It's the Canadian football league. They give you a yard at the line of scrimmage and you only need a yard. This shouldn't be anything that you're questioning. So when Wally Buono decides he's going to go down for it on third and one, I don't think 
it's a question. I don't think that's why we've heard a lot in this week leading up to these football games questioning Wally Buono's decision to go on a third on one because I think that's just I even said it well they'll get an easy first down here and you know we're we've got a tied game at the least and we're probably going to overtime and when Saskatchewan absolutely stuffed them it kind of sent that huge message that wow this Riders defense might be legit because that was some heavy pressure it is only one yard you get that at the line of scrimmage they must have had a massive jump on that football or a massive surge, so much energy where they could outpower that offensive line of the BC Lions to stop that third down. And they didn't get it really close at all. And I had texted Daltz, and if you don't know Rouge Radio, Daltz is the host of our show, the guy I do our weekly show with. I almost texted him right away. I said, wow. That could have been the BC Lions' entire season right there on that third down conversion because now Saskatchewan has successfully pulled away from you in head-to-head games, and they've got a bit of a cushion. I said, I can't believe I'm saying it at week number 12 or week number 11, but that could have been the BC Lions' season on a third down conversion. Well, yeah, I mean, they're now at a three and six record going into their third and final bye week. They're done their bye weeks at the end of week 12. So they have no bye down the stretch. And as we know, with the way the schedule has been broken down in recent years, the final several weeks, I mean, the second half of the season is mostly in division matchups. So it certainly doesn't get easier for BC here. You mentioned the short yardage struggles there. Perhaps they want to take a page out of Saskatchewan's playbook and maybe try lining a defensive backup at the quarterback (laughs) position on those one-yard runs because for the second straight game, Nick Marshall gets a one-yard touchdown run, and I know he's a former quarterback uh, back in college, but uh, hey, why not, right? I mean, if you got a former quarterback, uh, David Watford wasn't necessarily getting it done in the short yardage game, and uh, Nick Marshall is quickly becoming, I have to say, despite wearing green, one of my favorite players in the CFL. It's fair. You can say that. You're allowed to. <laughs> uh, don't tell Mike. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Riders win this one 24-21. Uh, they come into, you know, it almost kind of feels like coming into the Labor Day Classic and Banjo Bowl head-to-head with the Bombers that uh, these are two teams coming on entirely opposite ends of the spectrum. The Bombers have two ugly losses in a row. The Riders' defense has been so strong and come off so many strong games in a row. Uh, this, These next two weeks for these two clubs are going to be massive, def- defining their seasons, I'd say. Yes, and it definitely looks like two teams going in different directions right now. I think a lot of that West division is going to sort itself out. The We love that, going back to how we love picking on the East, well, we like beating our chests because we're out West and Western football is the greatest and we love our log jam. It's such a log jam in the West. But to be honest with you, I don't think this West division is as tight as it has been in the past. I think it's probably one that's still overall going to beat the East in regular season games, but I don't think it's a West that's as tight. And if it is tight, it's not for the reasons we think it is. It's because this West division has good teams that can make bad decisions, can cost games, can lose games. Maybe they're not supposed to. So with a head to head with Saskatchewan and Winnipeg right now, 
this this could really be a, a horrible two weeks for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers yep. if the media, if the fans and the Bombers and Matt Nichols, if they can all get right with each other, if Matt Nichols receivers, and at the end of the day, this just comes down to Matt Nichols and his receivers. We can spew whatever we want to. We can call in to our call-in radio sports talk shows and bellow all we want. At the end of the day, this comes down to Matt Nichols and his receivers. If his receivers are okay with what he said, if they can mend what happened, if there, if it's even gotten to that point, then that is what's going to help the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It, the fans, if they can get back on board, if they can see a result in Saskatchewan that they like, then hopefully that carries over going back into Winnipeg for the next week. But uh, this could really sort out at those two teams in the West and it could send Winnipeg into a pretty nasty spiral if they can't overcome this. Because right now, Winnipeg is, or right now, Saskatchewan is probably feeling pretty darn good about themselves and it should be based on that defense. I'll have to say, I don't hate Zach Kalaros. I've got no personal beef with Zach Kalaros, but Saskatchewan signed him for $400,000. We've been preaching Zach Kalaros for what seems like forever now since we just saw how good he could be in Toronto. I think there is, for some reason, a push for Zach Kalaros right now to prove that he's legit. And it gets pretty, it has been pretty frustrating these last two weeks. Zach Kalaros, Zach Kalaros. It's like he, he had what, he's had what, one offensive touchdown in the last two weeks since he returned yeah. to football action. Zach Kalaros is not why the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are winning football games. He's not why they're losing them because, you know, he's not a train wreck out there, but he's not why Saskatchewan is winning football games. Now, if this magical Zach Kalaros from, what, 2013, is that what we're hoping this guy goes back to, or 2015? If, if we're – everyone's begging for that Zach Kalaros, like he could magically reappear, if that's possible, then Saskatchewan is scary. But with, that, with this current Zach Kalaros that we've witnessed over the last three years, he's not one that's going to make them a threat to anyone. He can win some football games. He will win football games, as we've seen. But when November rolls around – I'm not putting on money on Saskatchewan until Zach Kalaros can actually prove that he can actually put up numbers that will actually contribute to the winning of football games. And right now, I am going to give respect to Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I will give them the props, but it's on the backs of what right now is a suffocating defense. Absolutely. Uh, just before we wrap things up and close things out here, each week we do our offensive, defensive, and special teams player of the week. Uh, I've gone through and picked who I believe. Uh, I, I th I'm pretty sure we'll agree with at least the offensive and defense player of the week, but certainly if you have somebody else in mind. Uh, offensively, I think it's got to go to Kamar Jordan. You might give it to Bowie by Mitchell, but, uh, I mean, 10 catches for 249 yards and the, the dagger of a touchdown. Is there any argument there that Kamar Jordan gets its offensive player of the week? I don't think so. He is such a significant weapon in Bowie by Mitchell's arsenal to, to see what he can give that team week in and week out, I'm not sure he's... I mean, Calgary, I think, is still looking for that uh, bonafide second-down conversion guy that Mark Way McDaniel gave him. But as far as a deep threat and, and always a threat, it's hard not to look at Kamar Jordan. 
And then on defensive side of the ball, we stick in Calgary with Jagarit Davis, who had two interceptions, which is very impressive for a defensive lineman, to, stay the, to say the least, uh, including taking one of them all the way back for a touchdown. Uh, would you agree with that one? I, I would, because it's not only a defensive lineman, but it's a defenseman, li, defensive lineman who had the ball thrown right at him, <laughs> able to hold on to the football. These guys aren't receivers. They don't have the sweetest set of hands. So to kind of turn around and be like, boom, there's a football right in your face and hold on to the football. I think he gets props just for having the football there and holding on to it, much less actually rumbling down the field to take it for six. And then on special teams, nobody specifically jumped out this week with, say, a seven field goal performance or, you know, a return touchdown or anything like that. But I thought Christian Jones for Saskatchewan had a pretty solid game. Uh, Six returns in total, 154 yards. He had a 60-yard punt return and a game where Saskatchewan's offense didn't do too terribly much. You know, I, I think the defense mixed with the play of Christian Jones really put them over the top. So I would give Christian Jones special teams player of the week. See, and I would give it to their kicker right now. Lothar is just proving to be one of the best finds as far as it comes yeah. to special teams right now. He is, he'll hit from anywhere. He will literally hit from anywhere right now. He does have a few, few blemishes on his resume right now. But I mean, as someone who had to watch the Calgary Stampeders get buried by a, what was it, 56 yarder? For a kid to go up against a team like the Saskatchewan Rough Rock, or against the Calgary Stampeders and lay a 56-yard field goal on him, Cal- Saskatchewan has something to be envied there. This kid probably only gets better. He probably only gets more accurate and deadly. So I would give him my special teams player because he had another solid outing against the BC Lions, just so calm, collected to come in like this and hit from wherever he decides he wants to hit field goals from. Right now, you don't really consider getting that excited for kickers because, well, there's the stigma of the kicker. But right now, Saskatchewan is set at that position. And personally, life is good if you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders right now. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up our Week 11 CFL recap. Uh, Stay tuned for the Week 12 CFL preview coming out uh, Wednesday probably late Wednesday night. Uh, I'll be speaking with uh, Safamod or Steve from the Pipples podcast and talking the Labor Day classic between the Bombers and the Riders. So look forward to that one. And uh, of course, thank you, Tony, for taking the time to join me here uh, and fill in for Mike on the episode this week. Uh, I'm so happy we finally got a chance to do this. No, I'm glad it finally pulled off as well. Actually, it's been a few weeks in the making as well. So I'm just... I love coming on and chatting football with everyone. I got a chance to be on the Eskimo Empire podcast and to be a part of the CFPN is fantastic. A great group of podcasts who just get to talk the sport they love, the Canadian Football League, a lot of passion. So thank you very much for extending the invitation. I was absolute, the pleasure was all mine to be here. And uh, where can people find, uh, we've mentioned your podcast, but uh, where can people find it? Where can people find it and you on social media? Well, if you want to find me, it's at Tony Rouge Radio. Tried to keep it simple and people could associate with the podcast. The best place to pick up our podcast if you want to have a listen. We record every Wednesday night. Daltz usually does my co-host, Rouge at Rouge Daltz. 
usually does a great job of editing it up and getting it sent up over the overnight. So if you follow at Rouge Radio, usually by Thursday morning, we have tweeted it out. and You can download it onto whatever you like to listen to your podcast. And you can find everything about our podcast right there. Wonderful. And uh, look forward to listening to that every week. Uh, can't wait for the dad joke at the end, which I look forward to every time. Uh, <laughs> certainly not a dad, but I have been told Ryan jokes are worse than dad jokes. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, I don't know. Tult comes up with some stinkers <laughs> sometimes. So there, it, there isn't a, there isn't a huge bar to try and get over there. Fair enough. Uh, as for our episodes, I mean, if you're listening to this now, you've already found us on your preferred podcast feed. But uh, if you want to find a different one, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn. If you want anything else, just request it. I'll get it on there or at least I'll attempt to do so. Uh, and follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. And as Tony mentioned, uh, the Canadian Football Podcast Network, uh, both our shows are proud members of that, and follow at Network on Twitter and cfpodnetwork.ca uh, to follow all of these other great shows. Uh, for Tony Allen of Rouge Radio joining me here, uh, this is Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening to this episode of the Canadian Football Countdown, and I'll talk to you in our Week 12 preview Wednesday night. Have a good one. Thanks again, Tony. Bye.